I want to talk to you uh, along the lines of something that you've probably never heard your pastor preach on before. It's called worship. Hey, got you there. But I wanted to hook up something that would just be able to blend right into uh, the, uh, the ministry that, that Pastor John's been giving to us on this subject. And I, I really believe that this is uh, an important piece of the puzzle. You know, it's interesting that when, when talking about worship, one thing you got to realize, worship can either be acceptable or not acceptable. And, and you don't have to read your Bible for too long before you figure that out. Because when you get to Genesis 4, you see two guys, one named Cain, the other named Abel, approaching God. Isn't that right? Both offering up a sacrifice. One was accepted. One was not accepted. And so the, the idea in worship is that I could potentially have something that externally can look real good and God's in heaven holding his nose. You know what I'm saying? I don't want that. What's the thing that can make the difference, the ultimate difference in worship? The thing that makes the difference between acceptable and unacceptable worship is the heart of the worshiper. Isn't that right? And the, the Bible bears out, if you just do a little Bible study on everything that the Bible says about Abel, and then everything that the Bible says about Cain, you get even greater insight than you get if you just read the little excerpt of Genesis 4. You find out that Abel was a righteous man. You find out that Abel was a man of faith. And you also find out that Cain, the Bible calls him wicked. So it, it's interesting as you look through, the, especially the New Testament, and you see some of the other nuances that it brings out regarding Cain and Abel, you find out the rest of the story that, you know, little details that you may not necessarily get from reading Genesis 4 all by itself. So... uh the heart of the worshiper is the thing that determines whether that worship is acceptable or not. And what I want to hit you with today is I want to talk to you about worshiping God with your temple, your talk, and your treasure. Worshiping God with your temple, your talk, and your treasure. Worshiping God with your temple, that being this, your body. Worshiping God with your talk, your words, and worshiping God with your treasure, that means you're worshiping God by giving to him something that is of value to you. Are you ready? <laughs> Here we go. You know, um, why don't you go to 1 Corinthians 6 and we get started here. 1 Corinthians 6. Thank you, Lord. And uh, I want us to read this together. Worshiping God with your temple, your talk, and your treasure. Worshiping God with your body, with your words, and with the thing that is of great value to you. And I want to get started by talking about worshiping God with your body. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6, Let's start with 19. It says, or do, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I want you to realize today regarding your body that your body is both a place of worship and an instrument of worship. It's a place of worship because your body is the temple. Don't you know the temple's the place of worship? Come on. Hey, the, the, that's not a hard thing to figure out, that the temple's a place of worship. So if the body's a temple, the body's a place of worship. But it's also an instrument of worship. 
Because the scripture says over in verse 20, it says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. One of the means whereby you can glorify God is in your body. Why don't you go to um, Romans 12. And uh, as you're going there, I want to read something to you if you're taking notes. This is Daniel 3.28, and it's a very interesting point. Uh, when uh, the, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were cast into the fiery furnace, but they didn't burn, and uh, the angel of the Lord delivered them, Nebuchadnezzar spoke these words. He said in Daniel 3.28, he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Now think about that statement. They've yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. What happens when our bodies get involved in the worship process? When we find ourselves in a situation where it would mean discomfort, inconvenience. It's really inconvenient when you're getting thrown into fire, you know what I mean? Are you willing to worship God with your body even when it's going to cause some discomfort to your body? Well, 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 well. Do you have Romans 12? Verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. Key word there. Remember, we were talking about what's acceptable and not acceptable. So this is a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, now that little line there at the end, you, you can look that up in several translations and, and, and see uh, a, a, a different twist on that. Uh, the New American Standard Bible, as a matter of fact, says that this is your spiritual service of worship. And there's multiple translations that translate it that way, that this going on is actually worship. That you presenting your body as a living sacrifice to God is considered worship. How can you worship God with your bodies? 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us this, that whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, it says that the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And isn't it interesting that in an age where you so often hear the, the, the liberal idea, it's my body and I can do what I want to with my body. And, and totally missing the point that somebody named the Lord Jesus Christ paid a price for your body. Would you believe that or received it or not? Does really not make a difference? He's paid a price for your body. And the Bible says that the body is not for sexual immorality, or in other words, the body is not for you to do whatever you want to do with whenever you want to do it. But it's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, interesting, uh, the, the Bible talks about eating and drinking. Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then it also talks about the aspect of the body not being for sexual immorality. Now consider, who's this being written to? This is being written to the church at Corinth. Which if you do a little digging, uh, there were several ancient cultures and Corinth definitely being one. 
that actually had uh, sex rituals as part of their worship. So they were in a regular habit of worshiping with their body. Except the, the, the one they were worshiping was not the right one to worship. And the process of their worship was not the right process either. And so you can see why would Paul feel the need to tell these people about glorifying God with their bodies and what their purpose of their bodies is. It's because they're coming out of a culture where they were not using their bodies for the purpose that God ordained. They were using their bodies for for uh, the, the perverted purposes of the society they were in and uh, the, the religion that was practiced by that society. Oh, yeah. But they weren't practicing it for the Lord. You, you think there, there's some worship going on today that's not right? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, can, can we talk? I'm going to talk. You, you know, I, I got a, I, I don't mind telling you, I got a, a, a serious word today. Uh, I like to shout just like everybody likes to shout, but, but this one's not quite a shouter, but it's good for you. Eat your Brussels sprouts today. Come on, somebody. Here we go. You know, when, when somebody sits in front of a computer and is viewing pornography, You know there's worship going on? Because there's a worshiper and there's the object of worship. Come on now. That's what it is. But for us as believers, how can we glorify God with our bodies? We can glorify with our bodies by having our spirit, our born-again spirit, be the one who's calling the shots of what's happening with our body rather than our body trying to inform our spirit what it's going to do. You know, I love the wording of the Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, where he said, I keep under my body. Well, you think, okay, there's my body and there's I. Well, who's I? It's obviously not his body because I is the one who's keeping under his body. Well, who's I? I is his spirit. It's the heart of him, the spirit of him. And he has made a decision that rather than the body being the one that's going to tell his spirit what he's going to do, that he's going to be a man who is living life according to his born again, recreated human spirit, and that his spirit's going to be telling his body what to do. Hallelujah. And so you and I, as believers today, can worship God with our body by keeping things right with our body. Whatever, understanding this, the principle is whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so when you come across something that you can potentially do with your body that is not uplifting and glorifying God, then it's obviously not going to be an act of worship towards him. It may be an act of worship towards something else, but it's not towards him. So our goal as believers is we want to worship God with our bodies. That'll affect your, your whole life if you let it. That'll affect eating and drinking. That'll affect... Uh, your your sex life. Hey, do you talk about that in church? Oh yeah, of course. Where else are you going to talk about it? We got the answers, people. And so you can worship God by maintaining sexual purity in your body. And by drawing lines and boundaries and the line and the boundary being this, that if you ain't my spouse, You ain't getting none. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. Worship God with your body. 
Worship God with your body. And the understanding is that this is not yours. This is his. He bought it. He paid for it with the price of his own blood. Hallelujah. Worship God with your body. With your temple. And worship God, secondly, with your talk. With your words. Interesting. Jesus said in Matthew 15... As he was addressing religious leaders, and you'll find this between verse 7 and 9. Uh, he said, uh, Isaiah sure did hit it on the money when he prophesied about you. <laughs> That's my translation. Because Isaiah prophesied this. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And then Jesus goes on to say, in vain, they're worshiping me. Honoring me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. But that lets me know something. If it's possible to honor God with your lips and yet have a heart that's far from him, it must be possible to honor God with your lips and your heart be right. Somebody can look at that and say, see, talk is cheap. Talk doesn't matter. See that? But talk does matter. Words do matter. But the difference is that God wants your heart and your words to match. God don't want your words going one way and your heart going another way because if that's the case, it don't mean nothing to God. It doesn't mean a thing to God. But if your words and your heart are going to the same direction and heading for the same goal, that's what God is looking for. Does God care about your words? Let me read this to you. And why don't you go to Hebrews 3? But I'm going to read something out of Hebrews 13, verse 15, and this is the Amplified Bible. Why are you heading to Hebrews 3? It says, through him... Therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. So what's this about? This is about a sacrifice that's going to God. And what's it called? It's called the fruit of your lips. You can actually go to God and worship with the fruit of your lips. Now, Hebrews 3, you got it? You might have never even noticed this before. And if you, if you haven't, well, if you don't know, now you know. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now, this calls Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. What is your confession? Your confession is what you say. This is saying that Jesus is the high priest of what you say. Now, those of you that know a little bit about your Old Testament is that you would realize that, that, that the people of Israel would come to the priest with a sacrifice. Isn't that right? They, they would come to the priest with their sacrifice. Well, here, you're coming to the priest, the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're bringing a sacrifice too. In this case, you're bringing the sacrifice of, of praise, as Hebrews 13 called, the, the fruit of your lips. That's the sacrifice you're bringing. The fruit of your lips. He is the high priest of your confession. He is the high priest over the fruit of your lips. So when you come to your high priest, what kind of offering are you bringing? 
what kind of words are you giving him to work with? Come on now. Why don't you go to the Old Testament book of Hosea? This is something you got to see. Hosea chapter 14. And uh, we, we can start with, with verse 1 and read, read the first three verses. This is Hosea 14. I want you to see this. It says, Hosea 14:1, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Now listen. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. When you come to God, when you return to God, it's interesting here that it says when you're returning, take some words with you. Bring to God the sacrifice of your lips. And verse 3, it talks about you making such a change where you're declaring there are things that I'm not going to allow myself to say anymore. I'm not going to say anymore to the work of my hands, you are our gods. I'm not going to allow myself to say anymore that anything else is my source or my God or that which I turn to. Now I say one thing and one thing alone, that the Lord is my God. I'm coming to the Lord with words and I'm presenting to him the sacrifice of my lips. Oh yeah. Here's something to write down. Psalm 119, 108. Psalm 119, verse 108. The writer says, except I pray. Talk about something being acceptable, right? Except, I pray, the free will offerings of my mouth. That's Psalm 119, 108. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. My strength and my redeemer. So I'm bringing him the free will offerings of my mouth so he can accept them. My prayer is that the words of my mouth would be acceptable in his sight. Proverbs 10 verse 32. Proverbs 10 32 says this. That the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Why? Because this sacrifice of the lips is intended to be an acceptable sacrifice to him. The writer of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 10. And the writer who referred to himself as the preacher. And in this verse he says in chapter 12 verse 10. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. Do you want your words to be acceptable worship before him? Then if you want that, if it, like I said when we first opened up this topic, that if you can actually go to the Lord, draw near to him with your lips, but your heart being far from him. Then the flip side of that is there's got to be a way 
that you can actually draw near to him with your lips and have your heart right before him. How do you do that? You can see to it that your heart is filled with abundance with the right kind of thing. That your heart is just chock full and overflowing with the word, with the right thing, with, with the right heart and approach towards God. Whatever's inside of you in abundance, does that affect your words? It sure does because Jesus said, out of the abundance. Abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you having the right thing in your heart, the word of God hidden in your heart, you are setting yourself up so that out of that overflow, words come. And then not just words that are going one way when your heart's going a different direction, but you got your heart and your words going in the same direction, resulting in something that is acceptable mm, in his sight. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. Go to Genesis 22. Worshiping him with your temple, worshiping him with your talk, and worshiping him with your treasure. My, my. Genesis 22. The idea of worshiping God by giving to him something that is of very great value. I think you all realize that this is more than what we do when we come to church and sing a few songs. Hey, this is called the worship lifestyle. You know, when, when you're doing these other things, uh, though those songs sound a whole lot nicer to the Lord. Well, when these things are missing from our lives, uh, you know, the, the, the Lord hears clanging cymbals. <laughs> the Lord hears a bunch of noise rather than a sweet sound. Because worship can be expressed through singing and through music. But if you think that's it, you got another thing coming, let me tell you. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. Abraham called what he was about to do worship. He was about to go to this mountaintop and plunge a knife into his son's heart and offer his son up as a burnt offering to God. And what did he call it? He called it Worship. One of the tests on how much of a worshiper we really are is what we do when the Lord demands something of us that is a hard thing to give up to him. We're quick to say, yeah, I'm a worshiper. Yeah, I can get my praise on. Yeah, I'm a worshiper. I just, 
I, I'm always here right at service starts because I don't want to miss praise and worship. That's good. It sure beats getting here late. Come on now. Don't get me started. But this is worship. When God made a demand and Abraham had faith in God and trust enough in God to trust him with anything and everything, that's called worship. Giving God something that is of value. Don't you know? Think about the wise men. The magi, those that visited uh, Jesus when he was a young child. First of all, these guys had some traveling expenses. Because they weren't like right around the corner from Jerusalem. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they weren't right around the corner from Nazareth or, or Bethlehem. Uh, these guys traveled. And then when they came to the house, and you can see this in Matthew 2.11. When they came to the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother. And what does it say? It says they fell down and worshipped him and opened their treasures and presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They fell down, worshipped him, and opened their treasures. Are you willing to open your treasure to him. Or what, what's he worth? What's his value? Come on. What, what, what's he worth to you? These guys traveled long distance. And that wasn't their only investment. When they got there, they opened their treasures to Jesus. First Chronicles 16:29. As you read it, you see, bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord. Think about that. Bring an offering, come before him. Oh, worship the Lord. You see about the same wording over in Psalm 96, 8 and 9. Psalm 96, 8 and 9 says, give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord. Why don't you go to Deuteronomy 26? Deuteronomy 26. This is kind of different, but it's good, isn't it? You know what? When we were fasting and praying, just as we came to the end of our time of fasting and praying, and you, you know what it's called when you end a fast? You call that break fast. Otherwise known as breakfast. You can have breakfast any time of day when you break a fast. Come on now. But um, right over here, and we gathered in a circle together. And I had a sense in my heart of the, the, the deeper level that God was calling us to. And I shared this with, with Pastor and, and, and with the group that was here that morning. And, and the sense was this. How many of you have ever been into your teenager's room or, or, or your child's room and said, hey, uh, uh, is this clean? <laughs> yeah, it's clean. And it might look pretty all right until you do one of these things, you know. Run, run the finger on one of those surfaces that, that usually don't get touched and look at the dust and say, well, can you explain that? And I, I really had this sense that in our lives, there was a lot of things that when you first walked into the room, looked pretty good, looked pretty all right. 
But, but, but that the, the Lord, in an attempt to bring us up to a higher level of consecration to him, was going to run his finger along some dusty spots and let you know about the dust that you forgot about. And that's why I was thrilled uh, after that to hear Apostle Scales use the word that the Lord uh, was not bringing a harsh correction, but a dusting off. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, that rang a bell with the same thing I got in my heart. Uh, and, and that's what the Lord wants to do. And, and that's where he's taken us. He, he's dusting off. See, there, there's some dust we forgot about. <laughs> yeah, nah, it looks fine to me. Until the Lord enters in the room. Until absolute light comes into the room. And exposes anything that's not light. And you say, oh. I thought I was doing pretty good. And now I find out. That's what Jesus did in the book of Revelation. Chapter 2 and chapter 3. When he was ministering to the seven churches of Asia Minor. He said, this is what you're doing good. And this is what you got to work on. And then, he said, this is the warning I'm going to give you of what will happen if you don't fix what you need to work on. That's wonderful. He didn't just come in and slam the hammer. Because the Lord gives you warnings. Well, this is for somebody. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The Lord gives warnings. When something needs to be fixed. And if you heed the warning. You can avoid being judged for that thing. Which is right along with what the Bible says. That if we judge ourselves. We will not be judged. Which means when you're being corrected about something. And the Lord even used that term in Revelation 2 I believe. Where he said I gave them space to repent. And they did not. So God even gives you some space, some, some, some time to make the corrections you need to make before he reluctantly lets the hammer fall. Somebody needs to heed a warning from God today. And I don't know what it is, but I believe you know what it is. And that space is not just never ending. That space eventually runs out. Make the correction while you still got the space. And then you won't have to deal with the consequences that you'd have otherwise. Glory to God. So that is for somebody. God's talking to you. Heed the word. Deuteronomy 26. All right. Where were we? Oh, yeah. Hey. Worshiping the Lord with your treasure. 26 verse 10 of Deuteronomy. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Think about it. The first fruits of the land. Set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Signifying that when you're worshiping God with your treasure, you're not worshiping God with your leftovers. You're giving God your best. Go over to Acts 10. Acts chapter 10. For those of you taking notes, here's another one for you. Hebrews 13 verse 16. It says, but don't forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Think about this, that God can be well pleased with your act of worship. As you are sharing something that is within your possession with someone else. Come on. Hallelujah. That when you share, not hoard, when you share that God is well pleased with such a sacrifice. Acts 10. Look at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. 
a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius! And when he observed, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms, your giving, the giving of your treasure, has come up for a memorial before God. Here's a man who gave generously. And the word of the angel to him was that your prayers and your giving have come up for memorial before God. Go to Philippians 4. Can you see the scriptural precedent for worshiping him with your treasure? Worshiping him with your temple with your talk, and now with your treasure. Philippians 4. Look at verse 14. As Paul's addressing the Philippian church here, he says, verse 14 of chapter 4, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only for even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account indeed I have all and abound I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you a sweet smelling aroma an acceptable sacrifice well pleasing to God and then what's he say next the verse that everybody likes to quote when forget the rest of it and then he says verse 19 where he says and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus which is uh, you know what one of the favorites in you know, your little book of promises. Yeah, I like that one. And I like it too. But my question is, have you sent up a, a, a sweet smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice? So think about this. That this church, by their giving to the Apostle Paul, was actually offering up something to God that smelled good in the presence of God. They were actually offering something up that is called here an acceptable sacrifice. You can worship God with your treasure. And when you do it, you get his attention. That Italian man in Acts chapter 10 got God's attention. These people in Philippians 4 got God's attention. Think about this. That Solomon, when he became king, offered a thousand burnt offerings to God. And God showed up to him and said, hey, Solomon, what do you want? Now, now think about this. The flip side of it is that God is good with math. Which means God don't just deal with numbers, but God knows percentages too. Because there was one day where Jesus was watching a bunch of rich people come and uh, give to the temple treasury. And then he saw this little widow woman that dropped in two little coins called mites. You ever heard of the widow's mite? That, that's where it came from. Where, where, where this little widow threw in her two little coins that in comparison to what everybody else was given was nothing. However, Jesus, being good at math and not just doing the figures, but knowing the percentages, he figured this out. All these other people are given out of what's extra and what they can give and not miss. And this woman here, he said, gave all the livelihood that she had. You know, one of the things that I want to do when I get to heaven, I want to be able to, to read or, uh, or talk to this woman and find out the rest of the story. 
because you know there had to be a rest of the story. Why? Because she got Jesus' attention. Go to Mark 14. Thank you, Lord. Mark 14, we're getting close to wrapping this baby up here. How much do you value him? How much do you value him? Do you value him enough to allow him to have the say-so regarding what you do with your body? Do you value him enough to be able to exercise uh, uh, restraint and discipline regarding your words and have a desire in your heart to only offer up words to him that are acceptable words? Look at verse 1 here. It says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Some of you say 300 denarii. Uh, uh, and given to the poor. Now, what, what's the denarii? It was a common day's wage at that time. Which means that to, to the best that people can tell of what it would be valued in today's terms is about $30,000. All right? So, look at it that way. This might have been sold for about $30,000 and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, as you read this account in other Gospels, you get to find out a a little detail that this does not bring out. This does not tell you which disciples complaining about this. But if you read this account in some of the other Gospels, you find out that it was Judas. So Judas is complaining about this woman pouring $30,000 worth of the most expensive perfume in the land on Jesus. Which means that to him, Jesus was not worth that $30,000 offering. And yet, this same guy was the one who shortly after this sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And, and, uh, you know, uh, there's not a way to exactly determine what 30 pieces of silver was worth, but based on the best of the research that I did, uh, is that at, at least you can determine this, that based on the best estimates, the value that Judas sold Jesus for was significantly less than the value that Mary poured on him. Are you hearing me? So, Jesus, you're not worth $30,000. But I'll go ahead and sell you for a whole lot less than that. How much do you value him? Would you give all you've got for him or would you sell him for something cheap and temporary? Why is worship so important in these last days anyhow? 
Why does it matter so much? Is it somehow tied into the times that we're in? Is God telling you something? Well, yes, it is tied into the times. And the reason is, there's somebody else who's vying for your worship. It's interesting when you look through the book of Revelation and you see at least seven references in Revelation to worshiping the dragon, worshiping the beast, or worshiping the image of the beast. Now, what does that tell me? That tells me that that there's an attempt by the enemy to get people worshiping him. And I don't think you can miss that. As a matter of fact, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4, part of the reading says this, that that when the the man of sin, the, the son of perdition is revealed, Uh, that he'll oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God would sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now that's the ultimate of devil worship right there. Because the thing is, is that people are going to be worshipping the devil without even realizing they are. So that's the ultimate of that kind of deception. So therefore, how important is the message of worship? The message of worship and you worshiping the right person and putting your value on the right person is the thing that can actually save your very soul in these last days. How important is it? That's how important it is. So let us not be like Judas who devalued the priceless one. But let us be like Mary, who will stop at nothing to show our love and our commitment to him as we worship him with our temple, with our talk, and with our treasure. Amen. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you for this time we've shared together. Lord, we we honor you and we reverence you in this place. And and Lord, our our prayer is, is that this word would, would impact us and impact the way we live our lives, impact what we do and how we do things. Lord, this is so vital. Uh, we want to be true worshipers of God in this time, now more than ever.